just this morning, I was listening to this brilliant podcast episode and the person who was being interviewed asked this amazing question and I thought, I need to stop what I'm doing right now and write down my responses to this question and implement it in my business. But of course I didn't because that's how it goes when you're listening to podcasts. You're doing something else. You hear these great ideas. You think, oh, I'm gonna do that. And then you just forget to do it. This is why I keep talking about my free self-guided workshop, The Pathway to Building a Sustainable, Values-Aligned, Impactful Business. You can find it at bit.ly slash rules. It's going to give you a notion template so that you can actually sit down and identify where you are on this pathway and then answer very specific reflection questions for that specific part of the journey, which will help you uncover things that you can actually start to implement in your business. So if you've been listening to this show, you've been thinking, oh my gosh, this is great. I need to do some of these things, but you need a container to actually sit down and work through some of it and figure out what is relevant for you. Head to bit.ly slash no business rules, take the free self-guided workshop. You're listening to Transcend Your Dichotomy, the podcast where we break the rules that say we have to leave ourselves behind in pursuit of success. I'm Brooke Monahan, and I created the show for purpose-driven business owners. Together, we'll talk about how to go for your goals, have an impact, all while honoring yourself, your desires, and your values. I truly hope that you had as restful and easy of an entry into 2023 as possible because there is enough going on. The last thing we need is the additional stress or pressure of the new year. And I hope if you haven't already listened to the past two episodes, I hope you do because Steph Galante was on here talking some sense into us about why we need to take it easy right now in a really powerful way. My last episode was just a gentle um, 10 minute message that I had for you. And I just hope that you are not just saying, you know, Ugh, all of the pressure to hit the ground running is such bullshit, blah, 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 but actually creating some space for yourself. The time that you're listening to this, I am off. I am taking this first week of the new year off. And so I'm really excited to have an amazing lineup of guest episodes for you um, coming in January because these are episodes that I recorded in advance so that I could take a little bit of a breather. While you're listening to this, I am in San Diego. I am taking the week for no reason at all, except that I was feeling the need for a little bit of space. So I blocked off my calendar and I am proud of myself for doing so because it's one thing to create a situation where you can take time off and it is another thing to lean into that space. It is hard, y'all. Anyways, one thing I did want to mention to you is if there is anything that you have been hoping I would dig into on the podcast or you have questions for me that you are cur- curious about, you can go to brooke-monahan.com podcast now and there's a button there with a little form that pops up where you can submit your ideas or your questions and they will come right to me and they will also drop into a Google sheet so that I can keep track of them and that way I can make the podcast in 2023 as useful for you as possible and a really great use of your time. And um, yeah, I just, I, I think my theme for 2023 
in addition to really leaning into my flow, is just trying to get better at what I do so that I can serve y'all better. And so I want to hear from you if you want to submit any of your questions to me. So that's brooke-monahan.com slash podcast. And just a reminder, my last name is M-O-N-A-G-H-A-N. Today's episode, we are kicking off 2023 with a bang because we have Erica Corday here. And Erica is somebody who I have been seeing and I've been kind of admiring from a distance for a while. And as fate would have it, we were connected by a mutual friend of ours. And I'm so glad that we were. And I was really honored to be on Erica's podcast, Pause on the Play, last year. And now she's here. And I'm really, I was really honored to be able to spend this time with her. Erica Corday is a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs and executive teams committed to shifting focus, power, and resources in order to create more equity in their business and the world. She believes that imperfect action is necessary to create meaningful social change and helps public figures engage in the work without fear of judgment. In 2018, Erica co-founded the Pause on the Play podcast, which is an amazing podcast. If you have not listened to it yet, I would add it to your list. If you like what we're talking about here, you're going to like what they're talking about over there. After receiving requests from listeners for a space to connect on the show's topics, Erica expanded the Pause on the Play brand to include a community and consultancy, and her leadership has now helped thousands of individuals define their values, diversify their networks, and call people into conversations about inclusivity and individuality. Um, She's a certified coach with 20 plus years in the beauty industry. Erica has provided training for established businesses such as Blue Cross Blue Shield, Martha Beck Incorporated, and Paul Mitchell School. Her voice has been featured on podcasts, workshops, and online communities with a combined reach of over 50,000 people. So I am, you know, I already said I'm honored to have her here, but really, I mean, as I'm reading this, I'm just like, how cool is it that I get to hang out with people like this? Um, In this episode, we're going to be talking about interdependence and storytelling and reconsidering your normal, which is something that Erica is always coming back to um, in the Pause on the Play community and on the Pause on the Play podcast. We talked about it on that show. And if you love what you hear from Erica today, which I have a strong feeling you will, then you should check out pauseontheplay.com slash community to learn more about the community or pauseontheplay.com slash show to learn more about the podcast. And maybe check out my episode on there as uh, entry point into that show um, and see if you if you're into it. All right. Take good care of yourselves and enjoy. Erica, I am thrilled and honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon, my morning with me for the podcast. Oh my gosh, it is my pleasure. I'm like, I get to be in conversation with you again. I like talking with you, so I'm so excited. Oh, that means so much to me. I've kind of... You know, I you've been you've been doing this for a while longer than I have, and so coming into this world of online business and then kind of finding my people who are actually aligned with my values, you've been a person whose work has kind of floated around, and I've always um, I, I will I will uh, look to something that one of my recent guests said, Mike saying, who says I look to people. I, I've re- she's reframed looking up to people. She looks to Ooh, people. Um, and you are definitely somebody who I have looked to and I find myself feeling, I just feel like 
you know, if I'm being totally vulnerable and transparent here, this feels like a moment where we get to be in conversation with each other because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've been on Erica's podcast. Erica's coming on my podcast. I mean, you're like, I've done some community things with you now. So it's just, it's giving me the warm fuzzies and I'm really honored. I love it. I love it so much. And it's always, it's funny because when people give me anything around the fact that they've been exposed to me or taken in my content, there's still that little part of me that's like, it's just me. And it's like, but wait, it's been a while. I've done a lot. I have intentionally created, you know, this, um, not just an image, but like, this is a reflection of, yeah. of, of part of me. Like, obviously I'm much more than the sum of what I do, but it, it has been created. And to know that there's something there that can make people feel comfortable, can be of support, can give them, um, concepts or an individual to look to as they are on their own journey, that's a beautiful thing. And I am very grateful for it. And I am mm. appreciative to receive it. Mm. Well, for people who might be uh, hearing from you for the first time, do you want to give folks a little, uh, tell people a little bit about what you do, but we would really love to hear about how you started doing what you do and a little bit about your story. Actually, not a little bit about your story, as much about your story as you want to share, because we are all about story here. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So um, my name is Erica Corday. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach and consultant. Um, and I usually kind of been saying that out and I consciously remind myself to do it because DEI floats around so much and it gets overused and diluted. And it really is about diversity, equity, and inclusion um, as individual concepts, as well as how they intersect. And it's how it shows up in all facets of your life, not just business, um, because I like to take care of the whole person. And it's really about how it is that I can support you in reconsidering your normal, how it is that you can move farther into your imperfect allyship efforts and just really being on your journey with all of it. Um, a term that is very accurate for me and I'm still working on like the integrating and feeling like, yes, I can use this title and it's a social entrepreneur. I'm someone that really does value connection. I value conversation and I love the impact that can be created when it's done thoughtfully and intentionally and ethically. And the interesting part is before I even got to this point of purposefully doing this with the title and all the things, it was something that the threads showed up in all the work that I've done. And it showed up in my life because it showed up in how I processed what I did. Um, I started my kind of professional life years ago with, I wanted to do hair and it took me quite a while to finally get there because in high school, you know, I had the parent that was like, no, go do the like GT program and international baccalaureate. And I'm like, I don't care about this stuff. I want to put my hands in hair. And so, you know, when I finally turned 18 and it was my choice, that was where I put my effort. And so, you know, endeavoring to be a part of the beauty industry in the multiple ways that I've done it, it is really interesting in retrospect to witness how it was a part of the way that I interacted with clients. It was a part of the way that I supported people on their own journey of identity and exploration of who and how you are in this moment, um, whether or not people felt like they had the capacity to do that within work environments or even personally sometimes, like, I don't want that family member to give me their take on what I choose to do with my hair or not do with it. Mm -hmm. And 
I didn't realize how much it was a part of what I was simply doing. And so when I really began to be like, oh, oh, this is actually what I'm doing. This is something that I have interwoven into all of it. You know, it showed up with the wedding part of my beauty business and how we not only would service same-sex couples, but we made it very clear in our marketing. We advocated for them because we didn't want it to be like, yeah, I mean, I'll do it, but I'm not going to talk about it. And we witnessed a lot of that happening. So it was something that showed up consistently with the way that I interacted as a human. And so to then one day have somebody be like, you know that this is like a thing that you do. I was like, oh, oh I guess it is a thing I do. It's like, how did I, how did I miss it? But I did. And once I really recognized that I embraced it in a completely different way and I have really enjoyed what it can mean to support other people on their journey, but also understanding that I am also on my own journey. Um, as somebody that does diversity, equity, and inclusion work, very often we are just considered to be practitioners that show up to support other people and our blackness or our brownness and you know our queerness, whatever it is about you has to kind of take a back seat and you have to just do the job. And that's not how this works. And so it's really been very necessary for me, uh, especially recently to feel like, yes, this is what I do. And I'm a black woman and I want to feel safe when I do this work. I am a black woman and I don't want to be commodified for what you can get out of me. I am a black woman and what you're doing is not only okay in the context of what I do, I am also hurt and harmed by what you're doing and I can't leave those parts behind. And I think that that is what is so important. We're not just simply what we do and that's it. We are who we are at all times, wherever you go, there you are. And being able to bring that in has just taken center stage in a way that I am just not willing to put my humanity and my experiences and my healing and my journey in the little side compartment on the door anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that I've heard you say before is like that, you know, for us to make the changes that we need to make, we have to feel safe. Yes. And so what I'm hearing you say is like, you're prioritizing, making sure that you're safe in the spaces that you're in or like your own safety, right? right? So that you can do the work that you need to do because it doesn't, you can't, right? You can't cut that off. No, you can't. And I think it's so important because the unfortunate truth is that, you know, the concept of a safe space has been diluted. Mm -hmm. People love to just put on their website, oh, I create a safe space. You can't decide that for somebody else. They have to decide that that is safe. Even if, you know, my kids, as I'm a parent to two, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, you're safe here and decide whether or not you feel safe. I'm like, mm -hmm. you have the choice you know, and access to feel safe in this moment if you choose to, mm. because so often other people are making our decisions for us. Mm. And so nobody can decide for me if I feel safe because what they deem to be safe may or may not be safe for me. And safe is not like a standard term, mm -hmm. um, especially, at, you know, I identify as a woman and there are certain spaces that at certain times as a woman, I wouldn't feel safe. Mm 
And so it's not a static word. And so it's so important to be able to understand that safety is something that we want to make sure that we are acknowledging is, is, is very malleable and only you can decide if it's safe. And in order to decide that it is or isn't safe, you want to hope that you have the capacity to be able to acknowledge, hey, this actually isn't working. But if I have the space to let you know, then that means I want us to work on it. So please mm. understand that I'm giving you a gift and an opportunity to try to work on this, not just for me, but for maybe those people that didn't tell you that mm-hmm. maybe they didn't feel safe either. Yeah. Hence the importance of imperfect action, which is another thing that you're talking about all the time, right? Because it's like yes. safety, a sa- creating a safe space or like I'm, and I'm, I'm quote using like scare quotes. Of right. safe space. <laughs> My friends, uh, Tristan Katz and Lauren Roberts t- talk about brave spaces or like safer spaces, um, yes. like being willing to show up and do the work that you need to do, but knowing that like it can't be you can't, you can't guarantee safety, but it's like, so, but so if we try to aim right at creating a quote unquote safe space, we're not actually going to get it because it's not something that you can like, just have, have these clear boundaries around what is safe. And so if you try to, you're then actually like in that perfectionism piece, and then you're not going to take action. Right. And so hence, why you are so vocal about imperfect action and imperfect allyship, which is, I think really hits things on the head. And I would say as a person who comes from so much privilege and is really values um, like helping people feel safe in the spaces that I hold and has really been, um, you know, looking at my own spaces, it's like, time and time and time and time again, it's the imperfection piece that I am faced with because my, the bar that I set for myself is so high and I have to recognize that is not helping anybody because it just keeps me hiding. Right. Like, right. Yeah. We're wanting to surround myself with people who like, if, if we're being really honest, it's like, it drives you to want to surround yourself with people who are going to reflect back to you that you're doing the right thing. And that is not... (laughs) That's not how we, yeah. <laughs> but that's a reflection of the culture mm-hmm. of white supremacy working as it was designed. And, you know, this can be carried out by anyone in direction to anything or any individual at any given time. And unfortunately, we often directed it ourselves mm-hmm. because it's implanted in us at a very young age what this is and what these standards are and how you don't dip below it. And this is the expectation and how dare you do less. Mm. It means you are lesser than because you did less, Mm. you know, regardless of acknowledging what real capacity is and that your best is not a static thing either. Mm -hmm. All of this is about us understanding where it is that we are directing the tools of white supremacy as harmful tools because they're all harmful to others, but also when we direct them right back to ourselves. And then what happens? We're now usually wounded. We're probably not going to be at our best for others either. Mm -hmm. And so it's a vicious, horrible cycle. Mm -hmm. And the system is working exactly as it was designed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm so glad that you said that because I feel like this is like a perfect segue into this concept of reconsidering your normal. I want to know how this, how reconsider your normal became 
the central piece to your work? Was this something that you came into it being like, this is knowing that this was the thing that you really wanted to talk about or did this kind of emerge? Tell us about Reconsider Your Normal. It emerged. It very similar to imperfect allyship. And Mm -hmm. that came because, of course, perfection is all a lie. Mm -hmm. And the reality of it is, is that when we think about what our normal is, the first thing is that there's there's no one normal. All of us have different normals. That's, you know, how we were raised, our families of origin, socioeconomic status, immigration status, where we're located, um, what's happening around us at any given time. You know, if I think about what my reality was at um, 8 and 11, the age of my kids versus what their reality is now at 8 and 11, like all of these things impact it. And... You know, so there's those small nuances, but there's also just the bigger piece of like um, class, uh, race and ethnicity, age, uh, cl- you know, how, what it is that plays into what you regularly consider a standard that you have access to easily. Mm-hmm. That's not consistent. Mm-hmm. And so to use a business example, if a business owner goes with the American exceptionalism example of we all have to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we all have, you know, equal access, which I throw up in my mouth a little bit as I say it all. Um, But there's this thought that we all have equal levels of access and opportunities and visibility and resources. And that's just not true. And so we've had people that we've, you know, been in conversation with and it's like, hey, there's knowledge that you know about business that isn't common knowledge to Mm. other people. Mm. That's a form of privilege Mm. that informs how you consider your normal, you know, in this landscape. How can you shift that and share it? But how can you also reconsider whether or not you are processing people, and I hate to use the word fair because fair sometimes has some weird connotations. That's not fair. But like, is it fair to assume that they haven't done something because they don't want it enough? They haven't tried hard enough. They're not skilled enough. It's like, well, is that really true? Mm-hmm. And that's where it's it's the part of reconsidering what we consider normal, but how does that normal then filter through everything else? How are we processing people? How are we processing their somehow lack of perceived um, opportunities or achievement or validity or just simply like your right to exist? There's Mm -hmm. all of these things that come up. Mm -hmm. And so just recognizing that people are going by this standard that they have assumed that everybody else knows that they're being held to. Well, every time you hold somebody to a standard that they don't know that they're being held to, they're going to fail miserably. Mm -hmm. And it's not okay. Mm -hmm. It is not okay. So we all have to recognize that we have a normal. And we are utilizing that in ways that are not equitable. And it's really important to pause to really kind of figure out how is this possibly detrimental to who I want to be of support to the outcomes that I hope I can be a part of and what, you know, what can be better than what I found it. And that requires you to just be open enough to know that like, Hey, I don't know everything. 
And there's pieces here that I need to be open to being curious about and questioning at any given time. Mm-hmm. Erica, on your end, did you just see your wave go away or are you still recording on your end? It's still recording. I saw a thing pop up that said connection loss. And as soon as it popped up, it said back success. Okay. Okay. So it like did like a split second. Okay. What I can do is when we're done, just remind me, I'll download the local recording that shows up on my end. Okay. That way we don't have, because I know, I, I know. <laughs> Sadly, I know. You've been here. Yeah, it says offline on my end, but as long as it's recording on your end, we're good. And I don't want to lose any of the like right. wisdom no, the, that you're sharing. The recording is, it's still red, it's still ticking, and I can still see the wave. Fantastic. But, I've had that happen. Yeah, I'll just I'll make sure I download it at the end and I'll just automatically send it so that you don't even have to have it be an issue because I, I don't know. This is why I love interviewing podcasters. <laughs> we so know much, we, we know the struggles. So it's so much easier. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get back into it. Um, Got it. Okay. So, you know, I feel like it's so interesting as you're as you're speaking because what I'm hearing and what you're saying is on the one hand there's a there's a you're holding folks accountable mm-hmm. to recognizing that. On the other hand, when I hear you and I think about what it would mean for me to hold myself accountable to what you're saying, I'm realizing there's so much permission in it. Like there's so much yeah. permission to just drop the need to rush people to certain results, to drop the need to have all of the answers, to drop the need to be the perfect like expert and know exactly how to and just be real about who you are and how you're different from other people and meet people where they're at and support them in the ways that you can. And when you can't say that you can't or say that you don't know, like there's so much, like I'm I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying it because it's this reframe that if we could, and it it comes back to this imperfection piece, right? If we could loosen that up a little bit, we would see that actually There's permission in this for everybody to just be more connected with each other and more honest and more real instead of constantly trying to push toward, I'm the expert because I can tell you exactly what to do that's going to, and if you don't get there, then it's not my fault, it's your fault. Like, so first of all, there's no such thing. Like that whole expert thing, like expert in who? (laughs) Expert in what? What does that mean? Who decided that? You you like the word and you adopted it and that's your choice. Mm -hmm. But let's acknowledge that that doesn't mean that everybody else has to automatically buy into that. Right. But then the problem therein lies that if they don't buy into that, then you get self-doubt. Am I an expert? Should I be doing this? Am I wrong? Oh my gosh, somebody knows more than me. Am I a fraud? You get all of these little tirade of, I'm going to cuss for a second. Sorry. Itty bitty shitty committee showing up. And it's like, but this isn't actually helpful. And so first of all, expert in what? That's not the only thing I think any of us is an expert in is us. I'm a living expert in the body that I live in and the experiences that I've had. That's it. Mm. That's it. And I am still gathering that. And I will be until the day that I am no longer on this plane. Mm -hmm. So that is the only thing. And I'm not even an expert. I am living in it. 
you know, I have been through what I've been through. I am in what I'm in now. I will be what I will be in when that time comes. But I don't know what that is today. So who am I to just be like, oh, this is exactly what's going to happen. I don't know. And that's part of the curiosity that we need to keep. Mm-hmm. But if you think you're an expert, curiosity kind of goes away because you already know it. And if you're an expert and you don't already know it, are you an expert? So we get this existential thing showing up, really just proving that it's all a lie. Yeah. And the reality is, is that perfection has absolutely nothing to do with this. So many people have told themselves that if they can't be perfect, they won't do it. Mm-hmm. Because fear and perfection has told them that any results or actions are invalid because they are not just so. Mm-hmm. And so I don't expect imperfection. What I expect is for people to take accountability for their choices and the actions that come because of that. Mm-hmm. And where some of the problem comes in is that people love to take accountability and tie it to concepts similar to, using an example, cancel culture. Mm. First of all, that, like, let's just not even think that that's like, no, <laughs> no, just hard no to that. Because cancel culture is something that has been bastardized mm. based on having a platform for it show up that then allowed it to be Frankenstein into something that it was never meant to be. It was really about all of a sudden there was this visibility that was given with cell phones and social media to capture things that otherwise were able to fly just enough below the radar that we could attempt to act as if they didn't happen or plausible deniability was there. But when it became a thing where anybody could be a quote unquote victim of cancel culture, then it became, oh, well, you're canceling me. Is it that you're being canceled or is it that you're being called to be accountable for actions that caused harm? Mm -hmm. Are you being called to be accountable for needing to do something differently and you are just more willing to dig your heels in? Mm. And so I don't think that it's always cancel culture, but I do think that that energy of it can sometimes show up because people, nobody wants to truly be wrong. Mm. there's a lot of growth in being wrong. There's a lot of learning opportunities there, but I don't think many people are like, yes, tell me I'm wrong. Like, like not literally we don't want to be, but there's, there are opportunities there. Yeah. And, and it, and it's not always comfortable. And so that discomfort can put some people in a place of being unwilling to accept any responsibility for not having been, their best or made the best choice in a situation and being able to decide what's next. What can I do differently? What can Mm. I learn from this? What amends can be made Mm. to acknowledge the harm that I was made and to, you know, hopefully do what I can to repair that Mm. and to acknowledge I may not be able to repair it. My repair may not be desirable Mm -hmm. and that does not negate the necessity for me to understand that it's not about me and that me being standoffish or doubling down on it only made it worse. Mm-hmm. That's not actually helpful. That's not accountability. Accountability is understanding that shutting the beep up. I know I can say it, but I'm like, y'all, I'm going to try to not be too harsh here as much as I can. Um, <laughs> I'm harsh all the time. So people will be like, oh, someone's going to hold themselves back on the show. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 
I, I mean, shut the fuck up. It's free and abundant and enough people don't take it. If you did that, then there are times that you wouldn't have to worry about the harm or you could at least be like, mm, I didn't do that well. I'm going to stop talking. I'm yeah. going to listen more than I talk yeah. and I'm going to figure out what I can do next. Yeah. And that does not mean trying to save my feelings. That yeah. does not mean trying to make myself feel better about the fact that I didn't, this didn't work out well. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I am a terrible human. It means that my actions didn't work here. Yeah. No more, no less. And so if we give ourselves the permission to safely be wrong as much as we possibly can, because of course there are some things that you know, loss of life and, and mental health um, harm that comes from it. There are legitimately things that that's a, goes a little deeper. But if we're just thinking about the fact that, you know, you used a word that you shouldn't have used as an example. Okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. Because you already did it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't outthink it in your head. I promise you, I have an overthinking brain. It doesn't work. It does not work. <laughs> so, you know, the time and energy wasted on trying to think your way out of these uncomfortable feelings isn't going to be the solution. Yeah. And so the gift of imperfection can give you that space and grace to allow yourself to figure out what actually is helpful going forward for the outcomes that I desire and the people that I hope I can benefit and support. Mm. And that really does go back to figuring out how can I feel safe enough to be wrong? And mm. a lot of us don't want to ask that question because I think there's a lot of fear. And for some of us, we legitimately have not been able to be safe being wrong. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, like, I've definitely screwed up in and walked away from a situation and been like spinning out over it and spent like two therapy sessions trying to process how I feel about and why it is so hard for me and it is deep but like that's you know in those moments I mean I think that there are a few things that that I've learned one is like like having some space where I can like process that like and therapy is the place for me because me like being wrong that it that goes back to like me three years old and it's like that's not happening with anyone in my you know what I mean like I gotta I've gotta like deal with that with me internally so that I don't hide from the situation after but the other thing is like being in community with people who will hold me accountable who I know also care about me so then I'm not like so threatened, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that's so beautiful about the work that you do, too, is that you really do center that community and the relationship piece. And, you know, it's not just about um, and even like your podcast and stuff, too. Right. It's not just about like being told things. It's about like having conversations with people and sharing stories and being in real relationships and community with each other because, well, I'm not going to say because, because I don't know how that emerged through your work, but I know that for me, it's such a central, central part. And when I imagine the times where, you know, I have done something where I'm like, okay, wow, like that was not how I wanted to show up. And I now need to be in that discomfort and having people who I know, especially people who I know who are like a cross lines of difference who I am close with, who I know are going to be really honest with me, but I'm not scared when they're honest with me is like the other piece of it that is so, um, it really changes things, you know, at least for me, it, it certainly has. Um, 
So I'm curious to know um, about like, I guess because I just made all of those connections, but how does the storytelling and the community piece fit into all of this? Um, and I'm just going to let you go, you, you go for it because I can make all kinds of assumptions, but. Ooh. Okay. So I think, I think community and storytelling, if I really think about it, if I think about it through what I think is more of his its historical context as mm. opposed to how we can sometimes overuse terms, mm -hmm. I think that it, you know, it makes me think about people that literally lived in communities where they were interdependent on one another. And that community meant, you know, some people hunt, some people fish, some people sew, some people cook, some people um, are healers, some people help care for the children, some people educate, some people are, you know, the kind of like uh, clergy or emotional wellness people in a mm -hmm. space. And I think that community is what we were created from and mm -hmm. that you know, if we use the nuclear family that we're kind of really sold here in the U.S., I'm not going to say it's not done in other places, but I'm going to go with the context of, you know, what I'm familiar with and what, where I live. That is something that pulls us away from what our communities would and could be if they were left as they are. Um, because it's very much you move away and you create these your own little subculture. Mm. But that's not where things were before. It was very much a group that went across age lines and it was just when you became a part of it, you were a part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we're trying to recreate that for ourselves, which is why we have these communities pop up because we're seeking this sense of belonging and understanding and familiarity and uh, mirroring back of what feels good to us. Mm -hmm. And you can't have that without having storytelling show up because you can't go and you know I, I think back to kind of some of the archetypes in the black community of you know kind of like a, a matriarch that sits on the porch and that's where people go for fellowship and and you know you need that person to talk to that has that wisdom and there's this understanding that happens because you got to, to to just be there and be in their company and you laid it all out you probably cried and, and, and wailed a couple times because you, you felt all the feels and they might just kind of look at you they, they and they're going to reflect back what you need in that moment and you're like oh okay I may or may not like it in this moment, but that was what I needed to get. And mm -hmm. that doesn't happen without storytelling. Storytelling mm -hmm. is a part of us feeling a certain comfort or kinship to share where we are in any given moment. You know, what we've experienced, what's coming up, what's being processed, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, all of it. And to think that we can leave that behind when we're interacting with one another and that we need to have a certain amount of transparency and vulnerability. Like you, you have to have that be there. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you mentioned having these people in your life that you feel safe enough with them and comfortable enough with them that they can be honest with you and fear doesn't show up in a way mm -hmm. that you're like, you can't be honest and me not cower or mm -hmm. I can't hold or receive your honesty. When you're able to be in community in that way, and you're able to not only bear your truth, but allow others to bear their truth and what mm -hmm. they are receiving and reflect it back to you. 
that is all of those things mm-hmm. working as they were designed, which honestly so much that is present around us personally and professionally is meant to undermine that. If you keep us separate, it's a whole lot easier to have those things not work. When we come together, things don't work the way that they were designed to work. They begin to work better. And that's where the real fear comes in. And it's not fear from us. Mm. I'm intentionally pausing so that we can all just let that one sink in for a moment. Yeah. I, you know, I really have this, uh, I've really had to unlearn my hyper independence, this feeling of like needing to do everything on my own, being something that shows how good I am or something. It's a badge of honor somehow. Yeah, it really is. And one of the, one of the biggest lessons that I have learned in business, business taught it to me like, but it's for my whole life is just how much easier things get when you just allow yourself to be in relationship with people in a way that you are inter- interdependent. And yeah. I think that sometimes, of course, it comes back to these, you know, things that happen to us where like for me, I mean, there's definitely a lot of trauma tied to it. But the other thing too, is just like, especially like it is especially in the United States, there is this narrative of like, everyone should be able to do it for themselves. And Mm -hmm. you are only the real deal if you figured out how to do it for yourself. And it makes me so angry now because for, I mean, for many reasons, first of all, because I feel like we were all duped like, and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. we didn't have to do this. <laughs> no. But also, but also because I have people in my communities who are not from the United States or are from the, or live in the United States, but come from, you know, a different cultural background. Right. That's not how they were raised. Mm-hmm. That is not how their families function. That's not how their life. And so now all of a sudden it's like they need to operate in this way that is deemed the right way to do things and the honorable way to do things, but is first of all, harder for everyone and definitely not even natural for them. And if they had been given the permission to do things in a way that was more aligned with how they were raised, mm-hmm. they could have had a head start on us, like on those okay. of us who were raised hyper-independent, you know? Yes. yes. Well, it's- but here's the interesting part. And I want your thoughts on this. I yeah. think part of the lie of that hyper-independence is, wait, So I'm hyper independent, but I don't kill any of my own food. I don't farm any of my own food. I didn't do anything to heat or cool my home. I didn't have to make a fire. I didn't Mm -hmm. sew or knit my own clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, So everything is done for me, but I'm hyper independent. Yeah. Make it make sense. Right. Oh. (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. And this is like, I mean... This now, now, Erica. How many more hours do you have for us to talk about <laughs> all things? And the, because this is one of the things that I just think when we look at the way that it showed up for me first, this realization that you're talking about right now is actually mm-hmm. with um, with food because I don't eat animal products. Right. And I, when that shift started for me, which it started very early and I come from a family, my, my a family of lobstermen, people who do physical, like my, when I was growing up, we ate what my family caught, what my dad hunted, what he grew. And, and mm-hmm. 
But I was like, I'm not eating animal products anymore. Despite the fact that you've been telling my, me my whole life we're better because we don't buy meat from the grocery store and whatever, that's all fine. But I just don't want to kill animals anyway. So like, I'm just not going to do it, which like, this is not, I don't mean to preach to anybody. I'm just sharing my story here. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was like, this cutting off the connection to where our food came from is like what makes it so easy for people to just go in and just buy something from the grocery store that if they watched the process, they would absolutely never take any part in it. No, no. And this is why if today or tomorrow the zombie apocalypse came, a whole lot of people would be dead because they would eat the poisonous mushrooms. They wouldn't know. (laughs) They wouldn't know what they're supposed to do. And so you don't know how to actually like catch or or hunt for your own food. Yeah. You don't know how to farm for mm-hmm. your own food. And mm-hmm. as somebody that for years was like I can't even keep a house plant alive and now I have them everywhere. Mm-hmm. That was a huge part for me of that reconnection to wait. I can foster growth and life in this way. Mm-hmm. And I started hitting that point of like wait. So how many things do I just have somebody create? for me mm-hmm. that probably isn't done in the best possible way. It wasn't the best for the environment because it had to travel too far to get mm-hmm. here. How much right. waste goes with it and how disconnected am I? Not only with, you know, the the creation and the receiving of it, but the understanding that the earth gave up something for me to have this and I didn't give any gratitude for it. And you start realizing like, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of disconnects like this. How did this happen? How many people created something that you are actively using in this moment? So anybody listening, a chair that you're sitting on, a sweater that you're wearing, a blanket that, you know, I'm in the on the East Coast right now that is, you know, on your legs, warming you up, you know, the curtains that are blocking some of the sun coming in right now. Do you know who created this? Were you able to say thank you? Are you aware of the resources that were utilized and hopefully not squandered mm-hmm. in the creation of this? Mm-hmm. And so to have this hyperdependence and not understanding that we're actually dependent. I was like, wait, wait, what? It's just like an illusion. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then people are like, well, what do you mean I have to be interdependent? It's like, but that's how things were done. Yeah. And being in the season as we're recording of like the holiday season here in the U.S. coming up, like there's a lot of lies around it. Mm. But you can reclaim it as a way of acknowledging where your gratitude is for what you do have and what the roots were for the people that that did sacrifice for us here because we're all on stolen land. Mm-hmm. Um. And how it is that you can acknowledge that all of this really was about being in relationship with the land, being in relationship with one another, understanding what the resources were and what happened if you took too much or didn't care for it respectfully and with reverence. And Mm -hmm. what happened in the same way to humans when you're not in relationship with respect and reverence with them. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to figure that out with one another. But yet we also have to figure it out within ourselves to be a part of a unit. Mm. And so that's where the independence can be helpful because we have to work on our own healing, our own wholeness, so that we're not bringing broken tools to a toolbox Mm -hmm. being the whole unit. You know what I mean? We're trying to figure out 
how we can bring our best to this entire entity and we all benefit from it. So there's a space for independence, but there's also a need to understand that that interdependence is how we all have access to thriving and utilizing what we have access to in considerate and, and conscious ways. Right, right. Yeah, it looks different in different cultures, right? But it's yeah, like like you're saying. I mean, even here in the United States where we're like it's this total illusion. Um mm-hmm. yeah, and if you can kind of like release yourself from that a little bit, oh my gosh, things just get so much easier. The permission, Erica, and everything that you're really? giving us today. Think about it. Think about it if you knew that you had I'm just throwing out a random example. You knew you had a, a a little unit and it was 12 of you. If it was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm really struggling today. Mm-hmm. But I know that if I go over here to so-and-so's, they're going to make me that tea that always makes me feel better. And I'm going to be able to just lay in that perfect spot of sun that they have coming right in through their window and I'll feel better. And then I can go and I can go do the thing that feels really good. But I know that I have permission to be whole and be human because we're a part of a unit. And if I didn't do something right now, things won't fall apart. Because to assume that things will fall apart because I didn't do them would mean that I took on responsibility to make me too big in in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so this is not all about me being the end all be all in a good or a bad way. It right. means that I have more that I am reminding myself that I have access to. Mm-hmm. And together we are stronger than what we are separately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Erica, you took us deep fast. And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love it. Um, this is such a good conversation and I'm, I don't want to spring this on you, but I'm going to spring a little thing on you. And I feel spring like, bring it. I feel like you're going to, I mean, this is right up your alley anyways, but yes. I want to know because you are also a business owner and you were like doing the thing out there. You've got your podcast, you've got community, you've got your consulting work and you've got, you know, all this great work that you're doing. I want to know, like, what are some of the things that you're doing right now um, differently in your business than what people would say you're supposed to do or the way that you're supposed to run your business or the right way to do things? Is there anything that you're kind of doing like against the grain? Oh, I think there's so many. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and give you like the top of mind one, which is what we did yesterday, which was something that we call collaboration speed dating. It was something that came up that was like, hmm, let's experiment. And me and my business partner, India, were like, all right, let's play around with what it means to you know, connect people and Mm. to give them reasons to, you know, collaborate with one another, which of course creates additional visibility. It's a tool of equity. There's so much beauty that can come from this. And it's something that we do all the time. And we were like, how can we do this differently? Mm -hmm. And it was like, hmm. So speed dating can be this really like weird thing that isn't always good. (laughs) However, it can give you great stories. And how can this possibly give us inspiration for connecting people. And so collaboration speed dating kind of was born for us. And we have really enjoyed what can happen with it. We absolutely loved showing up in this room and got great feedback after the fact. We were like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. And 
there was laughter, there was honesty, there was transparency, there was a group of people that were diverse in age and in gender identity and location and, you know, what it is that they did. Um, just all types of way. It was so much diversity. And yet the conversation was just flowing and it was fun. And it just gave a way of being able to really showcase ourselves beyond what we do, beyond the, you know, oh, well, I am a blah, blah, blah for blah, blah, blah. Let's pull out the Mad Lib all of a sudden. There's a place for Mad Libs, but they can get a little sketchy in certain certain uh, contexts. And so being able to take fun and spontaneity and laughter and, you know, some silliness and, and just really find joy in connecting people and finding amazing ways to just really encourage collaboration. That was so fun. And I've never done anything like that before, which sometimes can be a little scary. You're like, I have no blueprint. I don't know what's going to happen with this. And it was, it was great. And for us, we try to bring that type of energy into everything that we do. And so mm -hmm. it just feels like such a great example where we don't have a blueprint for what we often do. And we often find that we are creating new paradigms and ways of doing things. And we appreciate a chance to change the record. And mm. for some people that can be scary and sometimes it can be, but it's actually a lot of fun of like, how can I turn this on his head? What's possible here when I don't go with the blueprint? So that has just been really freeing and just life-giving of like, oh, I don't want to do it like that. I want to do it like this. Let's see what happens. What's the worst yeah. that's going to happen? It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It was I, – I'll tell you, I don't have an – I don't wear my Apple Watch anymore because I was getting too many notifications and I felt like I couldn't unplug from my like – and then I was getting competitive with myself about my rings, you know? <laughs> yes. And I was like, just let's take it easy. But if I had my Apple Watch on, I would have been able to go back and give you the proof of how much my heart rate dropped at the top of that – networking call when it was oh like gosh. we're not gonna do the typical intros because I'm like I I sign up for networking things and then I really have to hype myself up to go to them mm -hmm. this was not one of those because I was just excited that you were you know I was I was excited to see who was going to be in the room anyways and I knew it was going to be different but I still got there and I was like I had that like pre I have to talk to people I don't know like heart thumping thing and you were like yes. we're gonna do things differently and we're just gonna and I was like oh okay, all right. I don't need to like write things down. I don't need to. Okay. All right. Hold on. I'm just going to be here. And it, it was like permission to be present in a way that doesn't happen in many networking events. So yes. yeah, it was great. Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, and honestly, I appreciate you reflecting that. Thank you. Because often I think we have experienced things in a way that we are already waiting for like the ickiness to show up, the, uh, the discomfort. We're like, it's going to happen. I just got to fight my way through it. And to know that like having been on the other side of that, I'm like, I don't want to give that to anybody. It's like, oh, oh, really? We're not. Oh, okay. We don't have to do that. All right. Yeah, let's do that. I want that now. I didn't know I could do that. Thank you. Thank you. Again, permission giving. Like we can do this any way we want. And we really do try to, you know, remember like who's gonna tell us we can't right who's gonna check me who's gonna tell me no like I'm gonna do what I want to do especially because it's being done differently 
to support equity, to support that creation and collaboration and connection and the enhancing of the creativity across boundaries and lines and preconceived notions. Like, mm. no, we're going to do it different just because we can, because why not? Yes, that is what we're all about. all you talk about, right? I'm like, that is you all day. That's what we're all about here. So like definitely the thing that everyone listening needs the permission slip for. And uh, yeah, we need all the reminders. Erica, how can people find you if they want to find more about your work or maybe check out how they can get in your spaces? Ooh, I would love for you to come on over to learn more about me, Erica Corday, at pauseontheplay.com. You'll be able to learn about our community, which is one of the places that you can be invited to our collaboration speed dating. The next one's coming up in December. This will probably come out after that. However, we will have more. There will be more. And you'll also be able to listen to the Pause on the Play podcast, which will be linked there as well. And you'll be able to check out our um, articles, which is our answers to show notes. We're super proud of that, which is our way of being able to give some additional um, accessibility to those that are listening to the podcast or those that maybe can't or choose not to listen and need to be able to read it and get the context. So hmm. pauseontheplay.com is going to give you all kinds of goodness. Amazing. All right. So everyone listening, I highly recommend that you go and find the podcast. You're already listening to a podcast, so you may as well just keep it flowing. I love podcasts because you can like go out and do things and like go for a walk and let your nervous system cut. Have the experience that I had at the top of the networking event. Like have the, let the nervous system relax a little bit. Um, And I will put all of that information in the show notes and also um, listeners, if you're on my email list, check your inbox because I would have sent it to you as well. Um, Erica, again, I'm just so honored to have you here. Thank you so much for your generosity and everything that you shared. And um, I can't wait for everybody to hear this. Thank you so much for having me and sharing the platform and this time with me today. Yeah. Transcend Your Dichotomy is a production of Passion and Process Collaborative, LLC. The show is produced by me, Brooke Monahan, with production and marketing support from Julia Pink. Crunchron Johnny creates blog posts from some of our episodes, which you can find on the episode page at brooke-monahan.com slash podcast, along with a transcript of today's episode and any other resources I shared today. If you're ready to put this work into action, head to brooke-monahan.com to learn more about Transcend Your Dichotomy Training Camp and coaching with me. Love y'all. See you next week.